Let's read the scriptures together this morning in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth? For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived. And I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, 
but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I, serve, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. We read the holy inspired word of God that far this morning. And it's on the basis of this chapter of God's Word and all of the Scriptures that the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us the meaning of the Tenth Commandment in Lord's Day 44. Lord's Day 44, what doth the Tenth Commandment require of us? That even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet so, that with a sincere resolution, they begin to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of of God, till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. <clears throat> Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we come to the last of the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment is unique among the Ten Commandments, as we hope to see this morning. And it's unique because if you compare it to the first nine commandments, you will find that the written expression and wording of the first nine commandments focuses our attention on outward behavior. Outward actions. But the Tenth Commandment, 
when we look at the wording of it, when we look at the way it is expressed, doesn't. It focuses rather on the very desires of the heart. What's the Tenth Commandment? Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's possessions. Coveting is desiring, longing for something. But bad coveting is longing for something that God does not will for me to have. And so, God makes plain to us by the very wording of the Tenth Commandment that it is unique among all the commandments. And the uniqueness of the commandment is that it lays hold upon the very desires of our hearts. Now, when we understand that, as we hope to come to understand that a bit more deeply this morning, then we come to realize just how sinful we really are. And then we come to realize just how greatly we stand in need of Christ the Savior. But what we also hope to see this morning is not only how great our sins and miseries are, but also that God himself has given to us in Christ a small beginning of that obedience. And this is the evidence that we already now feel in our hearts the sincere resolution to live not only according to some of the commandments, but according to all of these commandments. So let's consider all those things this morning. The command governing our hearts I also considered giving it the theme, the command governing our desires. It's the commandment that pertains to the desires of our hearts. Let's focus on the Tenth Commandment in the first point, and then let's look at the strict preaching that brings us to Christ. Finally, the small beginning of that thankful obedience. Again, the Tenth Commandment in its written expression in the Ten Commandments is that we must not covet the house or the wife or the possessions or any of the things that belong to our neighbor. But, as we have seen in earlier sermons, God already forbids covetousness in other commandments. When we looked at the seventh commandment, we saw that in the seventh commandment, God forbids covetousness. In the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. God forbids that we desire in our hearts to have our neighbor's wife. God forbids that. That's adultery. It's coveting, but it's adultery. We saw in the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. 
that in that commandment, God forbids that we covet our neighbor's possessions, that we lust after them, that we long for them, that we want what our neighbor has. That's stealing in the heart, but it's coveting. And then in the 10th commandment, God says, thou shalt not covet. And we're thinking to ourselves, but we already covered that. But there we see the uniqueness of the 10th commandment. The uniqueness of this commandment is that God says in this commandment, at the conclusion of the law, I govern the desires of your heart. I'm not just satisfied with your outward behaviors, but I put my finger on and I wrap my hand around your heart and I lay claim to that and I govern that and I tell you how you ought to behave in your heart. That's what the Catechism teaches us is the meaning of the Tenth Commandment. That even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart and delight in all righteousness. That explanation of the catechism is correct. And it's correct, we see that, from the passage that we read, in which the apostle mentions the 10th commandment, Romans 7, verse 7. I had not known sin but by the law, For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. There he references the tenth commandment. But he indicates the broadness of the tenth commandment. He doesn't talk about coveting our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's possessions. He simply speaks of the sin of coveting, the sin of lust, the sin of desiring what we ought not to desire. Now, the Apostle Paul, at one time in his life, thought that he kept the law quite well. That's verse 9. He says, I was alive without the law once. He means to say, there was a time in my life, in my past, I was trained up in the school of the Pharisees. I was trained up in the law. I knew all of the law. I knew it backwards and forwards. I knew all of its requirements. And I was alive but I was really without the law. I was alive in my mind. I was alive in my heart. I thought I was alive. I thought that I could live by keeping the law. I thought I was doing a good job. I thought that I was righteous by my own obedience. There was a time when I thought that, he says. But then, verse 9, he goes on. When the commandment came, and he means the tenth commandment, when the tenth commandment came, Sin revived. Sin, which was lying dormant and dead in his heart, it revived. It rose from the dead. That is, he came to realize what a sinner he was. And he says, I died. I died right then and there. He must be talking about that time when he was on the road to Damascus as a Pharisee, intent on arresting and persecuting Christians in Damascus, And that bright, shining light came from heaven. It was the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the brightness of his glory shined down upon Paul and blinded him. It was at that moment when God converted him, when God humbled him, when God 
opened his mind and his heart and gave him eyes to see in his blindness what he really was. A sinner. Then he came to understand the law of God does not just regulate my outward behavior so that I can check all the boxes off of the commandments and think to myself that I keep this law pretty well. No. He says, sin revived and I died. The commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. How did he come to know his sinfulness? Verse 7, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust. Except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. If God hadn't said that, I would have thought to myself, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty righteous in myself. And isn't that true of us too? If I had preached through the first nine commandments and only declared to you and to me, the actions that God forbids. Idolatry. Blasphemy. Sabbath desecration. Adultery. Murder. Stealing. Lying. Killing. If I had only talked about those external commandments, then every single one of us probably would have gone out of church thinking, well, I do all those things. But we didn't preach it that way, did we? We preached all of those commandments through the lens and from the perspective of the Tenth Commandment, which says, and you must not even lust in your heart. Now, lust is not just a sexual desire. Lust is a sinful desire of any kind. Lust is a desire in the heart to do something that God says don't do. That's the broad meaning of the Tenth Commandment. Look what the Catechism says. Negatively speaking, God says to us in this commandment that even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never arise in our hearts. God forbids that even the smallest, tiniest from our perspective, inclination, thought, desire to break any of the commandments never rise in our hearts. That's what God says to us in his law. Not even the smallest inclination or desire. We must not even once desire or entertain or toy with the idea of indulging ourselves idolatrously in some creature that God has made. We must not even entertain the thought of taking God's name in vain. We must not even consider for one moment entering into a sexual relationship with someone who is not our spouse. We must never for one moment consider or desire enjoying any sin whatsoever at any time. Not even the smallest inclination must never rise in our hearts. 
That means that God says to us in his law, don't make excuses for any sin that you commit. Don't say, well, since I'm usually criticized by everybody, since people almost always say bad things about me, it's okay for me to accept a little flattery and a little praise once in a while. Don't say that it's okay for me to have a little bit of hatred towards that person and to harbor a little bit of bitterness towards them. Because after all, think of all the horrible things they've done to me. It's not wrong if I have just a little bit of hatred for that person. We must not say, well, it's okay for me to have a little bit of worldly pleasures in my life through my television, through my movies and tablet and computer, through the music I listen to. It's okay for me to go to the bar and get drunk once in a while or to go to the theater and watch our movies once in a while or to go to the casino and gamble my money away every now and then because, after all, most of the time I walk the straight and narrow. God says, no. He says, don't say, well, I'm so tired and I'm so exhausted right now. I think it's okay for me to binge on some unlawful pleasures just once in a while. God says, no. No. I forbid that. There's no circumstance. There's no hardship. There's nothing in your life that you can use to excuse even the slightest sinful desire, even entertaining the idea of doing anything that he forbids. And positively, the commandment means that we are rather to delight in all righteousness at all times with our whole heart. That's what God requires of us human beings. He requires that we have in our hearts at every moment the burning hot desire to do what is right, to do what is good, to do what is pleasing in God's eyes. It means that we have in the fullness of our heart love for God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. Every single moment of every single day we are to love him and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Not a little hatred, but the fullness of love is what is required. And that we have hatred for all sin, the catechism says. That all times, with my whole heart, I hate sin. I hate it. Whether I'm on the heights of joy and happiness because of success in my life, and I feel like keeping the commandments, or whether I'm down in the depths and the valleys of depression and sorrow, and I don't feel like keeping God's commandments. It doesn't matter. We are to hate all sin at all times. That's what God requires. I am to hate pride. I am to hate anger. I am to hate lust. I am to hate worldliness and materialism, and idolatry, and greed, and discontent, and lies, and slander, and gossip. And I am to hate hatred. 
The hatred that we are to have is a hatred of hatred. God requires that. Now the Catechism goes on to ask, well then, if that's the meaning of the law, can we who are converted to God keep those commandments perfectly? Those who are converted refer to us here in the church this morning who have been regenerated, who have been called, who have been brought to a living and true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who are walking with God in the life of sanctification. The Catechism doesn't ask about the unconverted here. It doesn't ask whether the unconverted are able to keep the commandments. We know the answer to that from earlier in the Catechism. No. The unconverted cannot keep the commandments at all. But that's not the question. The question is whether we who are converted to God, we who are Christians, can we keep the commandments perfectly? And the answer of the catechism is no. That's your answer. That's my answer about ourselves. When I am asked the question, can you keep the commandments perfectly? My answer is no, I can't. When you describe the law that way, No, I can't, I can't, and I don't. The Catechism says, in fact, even the holiest men, even the holiest men, think of Noah, that we will consider in our second service. Think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think of Sarah. Moses and his godly mother and father, Amram and Jochebed. Think of Ruth, the Moabitess, Rahab, the harlot. Think of Gideon and Jephthah and Samson, Peter and Paul, and Mary, the mother of our Lord. Even the holiest men and women throughout all of history could not keep the commandments perfectly. Think of Martin Luther, whom we celebrate on Reformation Day tomorrow, who nailed the 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, whom God used to bring a mighty reformation to his church. And John Calvin, who wrote all those commentaries and all that wonderful theology of the scriptures. Think of all those great men, Guido de Bray, who wrote the Belgic Confession of Faith, Zacharias Ursinus and Caspar Lavianus, who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism. Think of Abraham Kuyper, Herman Bavink, Herman Huxema, and all of the great men whom we so highly regard and respect. The Catechism says about all of them, none of them could keep the commandments perfectly. And if none of them could keep the commandments perfectly, then no one can. If you prefer not to think of these mighty names, then think rather even of the humblest, godliest saint you can think of. Think of the widow casting her might into the box in the temple. 
Think of the Mary who, who gave, broke the alabaster box and, and, and poured ointment on the feet of our Savior in that act of great humility and love. Even those precious, humble saints could not keep the commandments perfectly. And if they couldn't, who am I to think that I can? We can't. Well, then the Catechism asks, why must they be so strictly preached? Why bother? It seems futile. It seems vain. Why will God have these commandments so strictly preached if nobody can keep them? And the answer of the Catechism is, first of all, this. So that all of our lifetime, we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature. The Apostle Paul says that in the passage we read. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. The law is not sin. The law is good. The law is holy. The law is just. The law is precious and wonderful and glorious. It's God's law. The law is not sin. No, but I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, my lust, except the law had come to me and said, don't covet. That's how I came to know my sin. The law came to me. That good, beautiful, holy law. All of its requirements are perfectly just and perfectly fair and perfectly good. It's not unjust of God to come to me and tell me that I must be perfect, that I must never desire sin, that I must always delight in him. That's not unjust. That's not unfair. That's a good law. But when that law comes to me, then I come to know what I am, my sinful nature. God wants us to know that. He wants you to know that about yourself. And he wants me to know that about myself. God doesn't just want us to learn that when we are in catechism class as youths. God doesn't just want us to come to the catechism class having memorized our answers and being able from our intellect, from our memory, to be able to give to the minister the correct answer. Are you totally depraved? Yes, by nature, I am totally depraved. God doesn't just want us when we come before the elders to make public confession of our faith. He doesn't just want us there to be able to remember what we learned, to remember what we studied, and to be able to give the right answer to the elders to satisfy them. No. God wants us to know intimately and personally and spiritually in our hearts what we are, the sinfulness of our own flesh. That's why he has the commandments so strictly preached. And that's why we not only ask young people when they come to make confession of faith, if they understand the doctrine of total depravity, 
but we want them to understand. And do you know that you, you are totally depraved in yourself by nature? God wants us to know that. And God doesn't just want us to know that when we're youths. We who are in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. God's will isn't just that when we're youths we're going to learn that I'm totally depraved by nature. So that we lock away into our minds that doctrine. Or that we think to ourselves, well, I was totally depraved when I was a youth. But not anymore. Oh, those sins of youth. Yes, I remember them. I remember those things I did when I was a youth. I was a sinner. I was a bad boy or a bad girl. I did bad things. I was a sinner. But then I was saved, and I'm not a sinner anymore. Thanks be to God. No. The Catechism teaches us the will of God is that we will learn to know more and more our sinful nature. That is, As we live, as we pass through the stages of our life, from one stage to the next stage to the next stage, that we will come to learn our sinful nature. Because when we get older, we don't stop sinning. God wants us to learn when we're in the middle of life, we're in when we become grandparents. When we enter into the twilight years of our life, he wants us to learn in every stage of our life as we encounter different experiences, different temptations, and as we fall into different sins. He wants us to learn through the strict preaching of his law our sinful nature. It must never be merely theoretical to us. It must be personal and spiritual. That's why I need to hear the strict preaching of the law. That's why you, as a believer, you want to hear it, don't you? If you don't, that's a problem. If I don't, if I don't like it, if I don't want to hear that law strictly preached to me, there's a problem in my heart. It means I don't want to hear, I don't want to learn about my sins. I don't want to confront them. I don't want to face them. God wants us to face them. That's why he commands ministers to preach the law strictly. Now, let's understand, what is the strict preaching of the law? The strict preaching of the law is not legalism. It's not legalistic preaching. It's not a preaching by a man of man-made laws. It's not a preaching of man-made ideas. Man-made applications. That kind of preaching is useless. That kind of preaching is detrimental. That kind of preaching is Phariseeism. That preaching has no place in the church. And no place on the mission field. Our Lord Jesus Christ condemned that kind of preaching when the Pharisees did it. He said to them, By all of your human traditions, you make the law of God of none effect. No, the strict preaching 
is the preaching of the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the law of God. As those commandments are expounded and explained and applied throughout the whole scriptures. But now, the strict preaching of those commandments means that each commandment is preached not just in its outward requirements. And then we pat ourselves on the back and we leave church and feel pretty good that we, we do that. We do that. But the strict preaching is, look, there's a deeper requirement here. There's a spiritual requirement. God puts his finger on your heart. God controls your desires, your thoughts, your inclinations, your motivations. Everything inside your heart, God has his hands on that. And God says, obey me, obey me in your heart. That's the strict preaching of the law. The strict preaching of the law doesn't just say, now don't commit adultery. The strict preaching says, don't even look at a woman to lust after her in your heart. Don't do that. That's a sin. The strict preaching doesn't just say, now don't murder. The strict preaching says, and don't even be angry with your brother without a cause in your heart. Don't be angry at your wife. Don't be angry at your husband. Don't be angry at your church members. Don't be bitter. Don't seek revenge or even desire it. The strict preaching doesn't just say, no, don't steal. The strict preaching says, don't even think about stealing. Be content with what God has given you. Be content at all times. That's the strict preaching of the law. Strict preaching not only tells us what we mustn't do, but the strict preaching also says what we are called to do. Sometimes I wonder if that's the part that really convicts us. The strict preaching of the law doesn't say just now avoid all these sins, but the strict preaching says, and love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love him, love him as your greatest joy and your greatest treasure. Fasten your heart upon God. Think on him. Delight in him. Meditate on him day and night. Pray to him. Sing to him. Thank Give thanks to him. Live your whole life for him. Make him the number one priority in your life. That's the strict preaching of the law. And that strict preaching shows us our sins. But that's not all. Catechism teaches us that the purpose of that strict preaching to bring us to see our sins is to bring us to Christ. That's the purpose of it all. It's to bring us to see the needfulness of Christ. To bring us to see the preciousness of Christ. The beauty of Christ. The comfort that is in Christ. It's to bring us to the cross so that there we will look up at Christ on the cross and see him hanging there, the only begotten Son of God, there in human flesh, giving his body to be broken, his hands and his feet to be pierced, his blood to be shed 
and his love for me and his love for you. That's the purpose of it. It's to humble me, to show me that in myself I'm a sinner so that then I won't look at myself, but I will look up at the cross. I will look up at Jesus. I will look up at him who suffered in my place, who took my guilt on his shoulders and who bore that guilt on the cross and who bore it up and who bore it away for all eternity by suffering the wrath and the judgment and the indignation of God that I deserve. And there on the cross, him who fully satisfied for all my sins, who paid the price in full, who paid all of my debts to set me free and to redeem me by his precious blood and who fully accomplished all that righteousness that I can't do. That's the purpose of it. I can't do it. The law shows me that. And then I look up. He did it. He did it. Christ did it. That's the gospel. That's the Reformation. As poor Martin Luther, that Augustinian monk, felt in his heart this burden of the law and all of the man-made laws added to it. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And the Lord shined the light of his grace on that monk as he had his Bible open in the book of Romans. And there, when he read of the righteousness of God that is upon those who believe, the light of God's truth shined on that verse like never before. And he came to see, what is that righteousness of God there in the text? What is that righteousness of God? It's not my righteousness. It's not mine. It's not something that I have to do. It's God's righteousness in Jesus Christ, freely given to me. And Luther said, a whole new world opened up to me when I saw that in the text. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. For in the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith to everyone who believes. So God strictly preaches the law to us so that we will be humbled to the dust and then he comes to us with the sweet call of the gospel. Come to Christ. And find rest for your soul. Come to Christ and find the full and complete remission of your sins. Come to Christ and lay down your burdens and your guilt and cling to the old cross and flee into his loving arms and find Christ to be your only comfort in life and death. Trust in Christ alone. Because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can merit. There's nothing you can earn. You can't be alive by your own works. Believe. Believe in Christ. And be righteous in him.
That's why. That's why God will have me so strictly preach the law to you and so strictly preach it to myself. Why? Because as the Apostle Paul wrote in our chapter, through the consideration of the law and all of its strict demands, he's led to this conclusion, O wretched man that I am. Is that your conclusion too? As we finish preaching through the commandments? O wretched man that I am. Who? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one. Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who can deliver me from the body of this death. And I thank God for him. Now there's another purpose that follows hard on the heels of that. Catechism teaches us. The purpose is that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God. God will have the law so strictly preached to us so that as we come to see our sin and we come face to face with Christ again, then as we depart from the cross into our daily lives, still gazing at it, always gazing at it, laying hold on it, we hear that strict preaching of the law and it it goads us, it pushes us, it, it exhorts us to endeavor to keep that law in thankfulness for all that God has done for me. That's the purpose too. That's why it's to preach, be preached strictly. That we will endeavor, 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 endeavor That word endeavor means to strive, to put forth effort. The gospel doesn't produce antinomians when it's properly preached. It doesn't produce legalists either. It produces believers, humbled, thankful, who are endeavoring, 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 striving. Because we want to keep the law. We want to. And the strict preaching of God's law drives us to that, drives us to it. I want to conform. I want to be like God. I want to be in His image. I want to be a reflection of Him. I want to be a resemblance of God. I want to be righteous as He is righteous. I want to be holy as He is holy. The preaching of the law doesn't discourage us in that. The preaching of the law shows us our failures. But then the law says, No, but you don't give up. When you fail... You don't despair. You don't quit. You don't say, well, what's the use? You don't say, well, I can't do it. But you endeavor, endeavor to keep it. Constantly endeavor. Constantly. Never ceasingly. 
And so that's the battle of sanctification, the battle of the Christian life, the battle to live a life of thankfulness. Preaching of the law also drives us into that, pushes us along, encourages us in the Christian life. And it shows us then that we have to pray. We can't keep this law. Pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit. And in that, the Catechism gives us this tremendous encouragement. This tremendous encouragement. Although it's only a small beginning, it is a beginning. It's not a beginning that we have accomplished. It's a beginning that God has given to us in Christ through his spirit. He has given us a beginning of obedience. And the evidence of that is that we have in our hearts the sincere resolution. Don't you have that? The sincere resolution, the sincere desire in our hearts, not just to keep some of the commandments, but the sincere resolution to keep the law, all of it. That's what Paul writes too in verse 22. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's the gospel too. God is doing something in our lives. He's working a beginning of obedience. So that whereas in myself I can't, in Christ I can. That's the gospel. And so we go forward. And we continue to strive and to endeavor to walk in all gratitude to God. We look to our grandparents. We see them. They're still striving. They're still endeavoring to keep God's commandments in their 60s, in their 70s, in their 80s. They're still striving, striving to live a life of thankfulness. And although I'm only going to turn 40 this year, I expect that when I reach the end, that my thought will be, as I look back on all of my life, I will have to say it was only a small beginning. After a lifetime of endeavoring, a lifetime of striving, Striving, truly striving to grow, to overcome, to win the battle, to achieve victory, to walk in all righteousness. I expect that when I get to the end, I'll have to say, it was a beginning. Thank you, Lord. But I wish it was more. And then, God will give us this hope. He will give us hope. The Catechism gives us that hope. The Scriptures give us that hope. The Catechism says, till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. 
So God proposes this to us. That is, he, he holds it out to us as our hope. So that striving to live the Christian life, we come to the end, we're in the hospital bed, we know the end is near, we wish, we wish it was more. We wish we had done better. And God says, have hope. I'm going to give you perfection. As soon as you pass out of this life and you awake in my presence, you will be perfect then. Then there will be no more battle against your sins. No more lusts. No more pride. No more anger. No more bitterness. I will set you free from all of those things. And you will be righteous forever and ever. That alone is reason for hope and to pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the preaching of the law. And we thank Thee, too, for the preaching of the gospel in light of the law. We pray that Thou would use this preaching of Thy Ten Commandments for each one of us personally, that it might have had a saving impact on our hearts and lives, that it might have brought us to Christ. And as we have beheld the beautiful and precious face of our Savior on the cross, might drive us then to endeavor to a godly life of thankfulness all the days of our lives. And we thank thee for that hope that in the life to come, perfection will be ours.